Thanks for tuning in to the Bethlehem Church Podcast, where our goal is to offer you compelling biblical content to equip you to live an empowered Christian life. Today, Pastor Matt preaches part three of our series on reconciliation through 2 Corinthians. Let's jump in. How many get confused from time to time when you read the Old Testament? Anybody? How, this, and this isn't to like shame or anything like that. Good morning, good to see you. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't, you know, you don't even have to raise your hand, but how many people, if you're willing to say, have read the Bible cover to cover? Cover to cover, a few, pretty, pretty good. Um, how many avoid certain texts in the Old Testament just because they're weird? Yeah. I mean, there's some strange things in there. And if you think there's nothing weird in the Bible, then you probably didn't raise your hand and say you read it cover to cover because there is some weird stuff in there. I mean, different, strange. And, you know, I think sometimes we do it a disservice when we try to explain everything away. You know what I mean? Like there's definitely a school of thought that like has to have an answer for everything. Uh, and I think that that's a mistake, right? We, we're not going to have all the answers. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, but we can have a a good understanding, a, a picture, a worldview of what's happening in the text. Um, and that's kind of, you know, when, when the Lord called me to preach and pastor and where he's placed me, every place that I've been, uh, the goal has been, look, I just want to make disciples. The Lord called us to, to make disciples of every nation. And so making disciples isn't just coming in, punching the clock, feeling good, uh, and then running out and doing all the same things that you did the week before. It's, it's actually immersing yourself in the scripture. I believe that the word of God, the words of God are the power, are the source, are the final authority, if you will. And the spirit of God works alongside the word of God and, and they transform our lives. We don't transform our lives by going through any motions, by coming in to worship just for the sake of coming in to chit-chat or to be lifted up. And I think that there are plenty that, that will have the benefit of worship. They'll have the benefit of fellowship and uh, of coming together, but that's not the growth aspect. That's not the part that will get you through the tough time, the hard times, the, the health issues. Like you have to be grounded. I think of Psalm 1, uh, like a tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. It le its leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever it doeth will what? Prosper. That's what I'm thinking about. Thinking about that like Psalm 1 scenario of, of being a church that is like a tree planted. It's not a here today, gone tomorrow. It's not like the chaff which the wind driveth away. And so when I think about and consider and pray and I sit in my office and I, I walk with the Lord, I think, Lord, I want the people to know you. I want the people to have a relationship with you. I don't want you to just have a relationship and be connected to me. I want you to be connected to the source of the power. The source of the almighty God. That's, that's what we need. we got to get plugged into that. We're plugged into a lot of things in our culture and in this time, but are we plugged into him? So uh, a part of that is doing some work. It's studying. It's reading your Bibles. And if you're not daily walking in the text, daily reading, I'm not saying you have to read, uh, you, know, you know, 10 chapters a day or whatever it is. Uh, but I'm saying you should be in your Bibles daily. You should be reading uh, and, and praying 
daily. And, and it's never been easier with the technology that we have. I still think there's something about, uh, I still like to read a physical Bible. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I just feel like there's something there. Uh, and I, I'm, I am an old soul in a lot of that way, in a lot of those ways. I were teasing about my kids, you know, they're, they're pen and paper kids, you know. Technology is limited as much as we can. Uh, I just believe there's something there. You know, it's, it's like, who was I talking to? It's like cursive writing, you know? Like they just don't teach children any of that stuff, any of the connection to communication. Uh, now it's all on a screen and it's autocorrect and it does it all for you. And we, we, can't let, we can't let our spiritual lives be automated too. You can't expect to just hit autopilot and that the Lord's gonna give you good gifts from his spirit and understanding about how to walk through the hard times of life. You've gotta actually engage. I just don't feel anything. Okay, how much work have you put in? How, how much time and effort? And I just don't feel anything. Sometimes you got to sit in it until you feel it. Sometimes it takes week after week after week of reading and studying and digging before it ever connects. It's character to avoid the things that you know, sin, that will keep you from that experience and hard work and effort in the text and striving in that of what will make you perfect and, and partake in your sanctification. If, if we thought about how much time this week we put into the things that have nothing to do with our sanctification, and when I say sanctification, I mean like you're being set apart for the work of the kingdom of God. How much time did we spend, spend, splend, <laughs> how much time did we spend on our Netflix series? Look, I'm not saying it's wrong. I spent my time on my Netflix series, too. <laughs> but I also, I also spent time in the Word of God. So it, it's, you, you have to put the time in. You have, if you want it, go and get it. Go and get it. So this morning, we're going to do a little bit of digging. Because it's there in our text, we're going to land in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning uh, because I think that it lends itself, and Paul put it perfectly, uh, but we're going to do some work before we get to that text uh, and jump around a little bit. Uh, so we're going to start at Exodus, Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 through 35. I feel like I've got to do this every week. Thank you, sound men, uh, for enduring all that drama that happened just a few minutes ago. Thank you for enduring like good soldiers back there, and my preaching mic sounds good up here, just so you know. I'm just trying to throw some love your way, you poor fellas. Look, we could, we could practice and everything is like perfectly one way. And like literally, we don't, I don't even know how it happens. In like the five minute countdown, the sound demons creep under the under the and start pulling things out. So it's just crazy. Thank you guys. Don't quit on me now. Just stay in the fight. Stay in the fight. It'll be all right. We'll get one next week. Oh, man. Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 through 35. Uh, how many are familiar with the Ten Commandments? Anybody? How many, that's about as far as it goes. I know about the Ten Commandments. <laughs> how many know anything about what happens surrounding those events? Well, Paul is pulling from that story. He's going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, hi. <laughs> the babies are with us. Come on. Uh, he, he's going to talk about that experience in our text so I'm going to go there, we're going to talk about the place that Paul talks about, and then we're going to work our way back to 2 Corinthians. Is that, if that TV is not on in there, have somebody, okay, good, all right. Uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 through 35, 
Paul's drawing an example of the past to show us how bright our future is. Think about that statement one more time. Paul's drawing an example of the past to show us how bright our future is. We're going to see that Moses was up on uh, COVID mandates before it was ever even cool. Look at verse number 29, Exodus chapter 34. As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony. What's that? That's the Ten Commandments. With the two tablets of the testimony in his hands as he descended the mountain. He did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. That's how he's like, COVID mandate right there. He was wearing a mask before it was even cold. Look at verse number 34. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with them, he would remove the veil or the mask until he came out. After he came out, he would tell the Israelites what had been commanded, and the Israelites would see Moses' face was radiant, and then Moses would put his mask back on uh, after he had spoke with the Lord. So you see here that Moses went up into the mountain, received the tablets of testimony, and you know we've seen the, the movies and the old school stuff about Moses and the Ten Commandments and that whole time frame. And, and he goes down, and, and remember what these knuckleheads were doing in the camp while he was receiving the Ten Commandments? Anybody remember? They were having a time. It was like, you know, a parte uh, of the most extreme sort. Um, so there, there's so much here. There's so much that surrounds this story and what the Lord was doing with these people. Uh, but really, when you read the Old Testament, it's nothing but a struggle. It's nothing but, uh, you know, bondage and slavery and then freedom and then bondage and slavery again and then freedom. Um, but the Lord's trying to show us something. And you have this place, Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai and, and there's some neat videos out there if you YouTube it that Mount Sinai is blocked off and held by the Turkish government with fences around it. How many have ever heard that? And there's this mountain that they believe to be Mount Sinai that's completely black, burnt, as if something descended upon it uh, and, and was there of extreme power. Um, anyway, there's just some, some neat Christian archaeologists that have done some discovery and some work in that. Regardless of whether or not that's true, what we have in the biblical picture is two mountains that are in view. One is Mount Sinai, where Yahweh, the God of Israel, descended and gave them, imparted unto them this law. He established a rule, a decree, a theocracy where he would rule, uh, where he would be their king, if you will. Um, and then, of course, we know the story. They eventually wanted a king like all the other nations, and uh, that led to their demise once again. But the point is, is Mount Sinai is a picture of where the Lord descended, where the one and true God of Israel descended. There's also another mountain uh, in the region of Bashan called Mount Hermon that's represented in the text. Not as out front and open, you got to do a little bit more digging, but it's the place where it's said that the watchers or the fallen angels had descended upon that mountain. Uh, so there's always an opposite to Sinai. There's always 
There's always a fake. Whatever the Lord does, Satan will always be there uh, to imitate, to uh, put his version or his spin on it. So what we have is Mount Sinai receiving the Mosaic Law. You got the region of Bashan, Mount Hermon, where the watchers would descend and would teach mankind all of the horrible things that we should have never been taught. Uh, Genesis chapter 6 is where we would pull from to see that perspective, see that opposite end. So what we have in this biblical worldview of what the Bible is showing us is that there is a, a cosmic fight among the gods, if you will, that is for you, that is for humanity, that is for a new kingdom, a new heaven, a new earth that the Lord wants to establish. And really the story of the Bible is about that cosmic struggle and how the Lord wins, how he redeems or reconciles, remember in our text in chapter 6, how God reconciles the world back to himself. So Paul, when we think about this, he was a Jew. He was a religious zealot, as touching the law, blameless in his own personal testimony, a Hebrew of the Hebrews from the, the tribe of Benjamin himself. So he, he really understood and pushed as a Judaizer that faith uh, and, and would persecute people to that point. He would be what we would consider um, in modern day context a terrorist where he was a religious extremist uh, and, and then he uh, was struck blind and, and radically changed on the road to Damascus. And Paul saw a view, a perspective, high and lifted up, Jesus Christ, the one that made all the difference, the one that completed uh, the story that Paul grew up with, the law that, that led Paul somewhere to this unresolved ending. Jesus filled in all those blanks. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? me and he understood he was changed he was made new uh, but that doesn't change the fact of who he was and so understanding this this critical time period the first 30 years of the church was really about a transition from being an exclusively Jewish faith to now a faith for all the nations to now something that would begin to spread uh, coming in that northern corner, if you will, of Africa and just literally permeating our entire world. Think about it. Christianity has spread uh, to the far ends. But much of that is because of this man and his ministry. So, but he was who he was. He understood the Old Testament, the Old Covenant from a place where now he, he could fill in the blanks of what the Lord was leading people to, and he did so. In every congregation, there were Jewish believers there. And so Paul was fighting. Remember, he's trying to reconcile with this church. He's trying to bring them to a place where they can uh, really work and act in the gospel and in this context and essentially help Jewish believers in Jerusalem with this special offering. So Paul is fighting Jews in this church as they think and consider the Mosaic law and how they feel like the, the religious system should be. Paul is saying, no, it is not about pushing a religious system on a people. It's about Jesus. It's not about rules. It's about relationships. And this relationship goes beyond what one person could do on a mountain. And now that one person can be you. And now that one person, what he uh, received, you can receive daily. And there, there's no more go-between. Uh, so, so that's what Paul's doing. And if you don't read the, the Old Testament, you're being robbed. 
because essentially Paul references the Old Testament through the entire New Testament. Every one of his letters, it's, it's the resolution or the resolving. If you have a chord that you're playing on a guitar or a piano, there's certain chords that lead to others. And you, even if you don't know music, I could sit up here and just play one and you'd be like, uh, uh. It has to what? Resolve. It has to reach an end. Even, even music itself, right? Almost like there was a creator involved in that. But it leads us to a place. The Old Testament is an unresolved chord. It's over and over. You're looking for something that makes sense, and they just absolutely keep jamming it. And it's like, where is this going? And then Jesus. And then the new covenant comes, the new promise. And it makes sense. It really does. So Paul uses this illustration, this example of Moses on the Mount receiving the Ten Commandments to really slap us in the face. And I'm telling you, I sat in my office this week and bawled like a baby, and that hasn't happened in a little while. I saw this, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Paul's so right. But he's going to use this vivid illustration of Moses. What happened when Moses was with the Lord on the mountain? His face began to what? Began to glow. It began to glow. Now, I want to give you a little bit more meat, a little bit more sustenance of what this law is, Okay? It was an era marked with only, when I, when I talk about this, an era, I mean the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Understand that the children of Israel, think through this with me, from a biblical worldview. Jesus, the first Adam, right, when he was created and then he fell. Uh, Romans 5.12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. Who was that one, that one man? I gave it away. Adam. Who was that one Adam? <laughs> Man, my goodness. Getting ahead of myself. I'm no fun to play Bible trivia with. <laughs> Who was that man? His name was Adam. So Adam, I feel like a lot of the problems that we have in our churches is just a lack of understanding. I really believe that. We, we just don't fully have a, a grasp of the whole counsel of God. Adam, Adam's sin and mind you, it's really just like a really good love story. Adam sinned. He didn't sin. Uh, he wasn't deceived. Who was deceived? Eve. <laughs> so much to say about that right there. No, anyway. <laughs> Baby mama's in the back. We'll roll. We'll slide right on past that one. We'll slide right on past that one. But she was deceived. So consider this. He could have stayed in the garden, stayed in communion with God, but really, he chose, 1 Timothy tells us that, Adam, not being deceived, chose to sin. Why? So that he would be with her. It's like, almost, it's like almost that Adam knew that the Lord had a plan and that Adam's love for his wife was so great that the Lord wouldn't even expect him to send her out. I would expect you, and, and this is just madology right here, so bear with me, but... I would expect Adam to say, I love her so much, she was deceived. I'm going to take a bite of this fruit, and I'm going to go with her. I'm going to be exiled with her out to endure all the horrible things now that we know that sin brings about. But I will trust, I will pray, I will hope in my creator that he will one day redeem me. It's almost like Adam chose to take that bite walking out of the garden knowing full well what he did, but he did it out of what? Love. 
You know, the second Adam did the same thing. The second Adam left everything that he had, left heaven, left all the community of the Godhead and said, I'll be back. I will go with, I will redeem, I will live a life in their shoes. I will be humanity once again. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing. The Christmas story is that beautiful story. And the second Adam did what the first Adam could not do. The first Adam entered into a broken covenant with his sin. The second Adam took our sin upon himself and defeated it. That's the story of redemption. And in that story, you have this love twist from Adam to Eve, from God to his creation to humanity. But in that, you have implications You have things that have to be handled and reconciled. You have law. Hmm. If we go out of here and, you know, commit, break the law, commit a crime, that's what I was looking for. If we murder someone, God forbid, then we should be what? Held accountable. The death penalty. Perfect example, right, of how a law has a consequence. Right? Many people read the Bible and they say, how could the Bible say that death should come from these consequences? Isn't God a God of love? Has anybody heard that? How does the Bible have these horrible things in it? <laughs> Why does America have these horrible laws where we kill people that kill other people? That's saying the same thing. Because a, a, a great portion of the Bible, the Old Testament, watch this, is the old promise of laws, the Mosaic law. And to see those things there, their rules, their boundaries that were put into place. And many ask, why don't we live by those now? This sermon will answer that question. But I would say to you, we have to first understand it in its context and understand why it's there. So you have humanity running around. Sin is rampant. Think about even the first family of how murder was present. Cain murdering Abel. The snowball effect, Lamech in the book of Genesis, how he takes many wives, how he basically institutes slavery, how he does incredibly horrible things. Nimrod, think of, and there's a lot more to the story that you learn than, than just in Sunday school when you look beneath the surface. But the point is, is humanity is a wreck. The flood, right? There's, I would say, the region of Bashan where Satan has infiltrated the world and he has created mass chaos. So that's the, the worldview that we have is before scripture, before what the Lord chose to insert himself into in this specific time frame, there was absolute chaos. There was no law. There was every man for what? Himself. And without the Bible and without the gospel and without the scripture, that's what it would return to. Exactly what it would return to. So what we find is the Bible comes along and says, I have to reinstate order. So when the Old Testament is given on tablets of stone, what the Lord is saying to Moses is, you all will absolutely kill each other if if you do not abide by some basic rules and guidelines. That's what this is. It was an initial, like, literally government and church and everything summed up in one, the Mosaic Law. 
And so as they receive that, they find here that they're not able to keep it. They're given the Ten Commandments, and really all that they get is that I can't keep the what? The Ten Commandments. And there's not just ten. There's like over 600 in the Old Testament. So the whole Old Testament, the whole Old Covenant, is this book of rules to show humanity that's running around acting like sinful humans that they're what? Sinful humans. Without the presence, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The psalmist says the testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. It is a perfect thing to peer into the law, to peer into what God's expectations are. It's beautiful, but long, or not so long after you peer into it, you see the inadequacies. You see the inability. And that's the first step in the gospel. There is none righteous, Romans 3.10. No, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have what? Sinned. My point is, is we would never know that. We would never have come to realize who we are if the law hadn't been given. Why was the law given? Why are all these rules in there so that we abide by that? Absolutely not. The opposite. So it could show you what you couldn't do. That's what you couldn't do. You, you, you get what I'm saying? See where I'm coming from? Now we're building, watch this, what we're doing right now, we're building a worldview of how to understand the Bible. We're putting this thing together. This is not in the program, my apologies. I'm just spitfiring, as you can see. So this is an era marked with only leaders having direct access to God. Leaders that were a representation of what could be, but was not the norm. Leaders that struggled in real flagrant ways. Moses killed a man, right? David killed a man, slept with his wife. If we, if we engaged, sorry Josh, if we did an engaged, if we did an engaged with what these men and women did, we would have big problems. Says the what? Says the what? The law, we even have a law. America has a law. That was this nation's law. And so the, the point here is to see that in, in this area of Scripture, how that worked was basically the Lord had a relationship with the leaders, with those that were in charge and commissioned to giving the law, to saying, this is how you perform sacrifices. There's a priesthood of those that will help uh, Help this play out for, for a sacrifice for your sins. You're going to bring your, your offering here to the temple. Here's the system of how that's going to work. That's how that era worked. It was an era of do as I say, not as I do. One marked by tragedies of both the right and the wrong side. The existence of change was in the air. We know that Yahweh, the God of Israel, has come down and he's meeting with us He's up to something, but they didn't quite know what it was. I know something's going to happen, but it hasn't happened what? Yet. An era of realization and frustration. That was the Old Testament reality. That is what we perceive when we read the Old Testament. Now go to Galatians. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 through 29. This is an amazing passage. If you, if you want to understand the Bible in, in its whole context, it's on the program, or just take your Bibles and turn there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 through 29 does it for us. Now listen to this. Wherefore then serveth the law? The question is asked. Boom. Paul comes right out of the gate and he says, why do we have the law? What, is, what does this do? Why give us a set of rules if we knew that we couldn't what? Keep it. Follow it. Here's the answer. It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Who was the seed? Jesus. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is what? One. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could, I love this, don't miss it, if there was a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the what? By the law. Here's what he's saying. If the law could have given life, then when the law was given, it itself would have produced good works. You follow me? If the law was going to save you, and here's why I have such a problem with religions and false teachers that claim that a good life is how you get to heaven. Here's why this is so wrong. Because if a list of rules given to you is what saves you, then it would produce someone who is righteous. But Paul says the opposite happened. The law was given and all it did was reveal how you were unrighteous. If, if, if the end-all, be-all was the Old Testament, and this is why it's asinine that there are people stuck in the Old Testament. There's a whole group of them. And they deny the new covenant, but what they cannot deny is that they still struggle. It does not produce righteousness. It only produces righteousness. It only produces hypocrisy. It only produces an outside veneer of what they know is trash on the inside. The law has never produced righteousness. Never. So let's keep reading. But the scripture hath concluded all under what? Sin, verse 22. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that what? Oh, here we go. We're starting to figure it out. We're starting to connect the two. Verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept under the, under the what? The law. Shut up unto the faith, <laughs> shut up, unto the faith which should be afterwards revealed. Verse 24, wherefore the law was our what? That's the best word. He literally like describes it in perfect terms here. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by what? Faith, yes. But after that, faith has come. But after that, we are no longer under a what? Schoolmaster. Why? Because we met the principle. You understand what I'm saying? For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. 
There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He literally took new covenant believers and tied you together with the chosen sons of Abraham. Boom. He, he said, here's the connection. Here's the plug. We got all the Christmas lights on the house, and we're just waiting to go like this. But the person who's got it unplugged is the Jew standing there having faith in the Old Testament. I got all the laws. I got everything that's good. Everything's figured out exactly how I'm supposed to live with no power, with no faith, with no hope, with no plug into why this is all put together. Jesus. Poof. It works. This is how it works. How does this all break down? Here's how. The schoolmaster, if you will, if we would have been kept in our position without the law, why do we need a savior? Why does Jesus need to come? This is who we are. We eat, drink, sleep, be merry. We kill when we need to kill. We take when we need to take. This is who we are. The law tells us that there's more to life than that. The law tells us that if we are governed human beings, like our creator wants us to be in his image, we produce relationship with meaning. Without the law, we can't see that. So the schoolmaster, the teacher, if I had, I wish I had a little stick. Be like, you like that, didn't you, Miss Huntley? Here's the point. Class, I have to instruct you, I have to show you something. That person that instructs you, that shows you, the teacher in your relationship with the Lord is the law. It's the very list of rules, the Ten Commandments and the, you know, 600 others. That is what the law is for. The law is to say, hey, just so you know, you don't know. Point number one. The law is there to say, just so you know, you're not capable of doing anything on your own. And the Old Covenant leaves it there. The Old Covenant told the Israelites over and over, worship the Lord your God and no other God. Okay, got it. Soon as the Lord runs back to heaven, they're like, what new God can we worship today? <laughs> How about a golden calf? Keep one woman. Okay. How about three? In our very nature, we break rules. In our very nature, we buck against systems. The Lord said, I'm going to choose a people. Watch this. Follow me here. I'm going to choose a people, Father Abraham, and I'm going to literally make them the most righteous people on planet Earth. Hebrews chapter 11. And they were murderers, and they were adulterers. You think I'm playing? Such as we. Such as how we would end up. Uh -uh. How do I know that? The law. That's how I know that. The law is our schoolmaster. You have a perfect, insulated group of people that met with Yahweh face to what? Face to face. And could they execute on it, yes or no? No. No, they could not. The law is, ooh, speaker. The law is their schoolmaster. It is our schoolmaster. If you are sitting here today and you think you can live a good life to get to heaven, let me introduce you to the law. Let me introduce you to this, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you think you're something, then you haven't looked into the law long enough. 
Any person on planet earth that looks into the law sees something that they will eventually break in your current sinful state. It's the reality that we live in. Why do we have church after church full of false apostles? Why do we have people, droves of them, that have no relationship with Jesus because they're doing it on their own? If you're sitting under the sound of my preaching today and you still think you can live a good life to get to heaven, you're missing the point. You heard it from the horse's mouth. You hear me? The law reveals that none of us are good. We are all bad, bad people, okay? Many, many french fries. Anyway. (laughs) Here's my thing. This message is the crux of the gospel. It is the gospel. You say, oh, what's the gospel? It's the good news. What good news? The good news that you don't have to stay under the condemnation of the law. The law is the schoolmaster. What's the point? Learning. (laughs) What's the point? Growing. What's the point? To stay in kindergarten your whole life? I know that's what my my son, I don't want to grow up. (laughs) I think it's just laziness on his part. Dad, I just want to stay right here (laughs) until he gets in jujitsu class, and then he like transforms into this other human being that actually wants to excel. I don't get it. Oh my gosh, y'all pray for me. I started a journey last week, and it is a humbling one. <laughs> Nothing like going to a jiu-jitsu class and getting taught and taught, and then they're like, yeah, okay, we're going to pair you with this lady, and I'm all, for real? And then I'm thinking, yeah, and then I'm thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, this lady. She's like, okay, you ready? <laughs> she tore me a new one. Oh, my goodness gracious. I was like, man, I'm going to do so good here. And then this guy, the guy that we, Dan and I were training with, I didn't know it, but it was his wife. So he's, like, showing me all this stuff, big, huge dude. And then after the class, he's like, yeah, that's my wife. <laughs> he knew she was going to give it to me. Dan is like, and she took it easy on you, man. I don't even know. I was like, she must have saw my Jesus tattoo. Man, it was rough. Y'all pray for me. I go back tomorrow. I got to get an inhaler or something. <laughs> I was like hyperventilating 10 minutes in. It's, it's the schoolmaster to lead me to the fact that I cannot protect my family against someone that knows jujitsu. I have to reckon with that. You know, I'm out of shape. Look, I want each and every one of you this morning to reckon with the fact that you're not a good person. Everything on Facebook, everything on social media, everything on this planet that is trying to tell you that you are innately good is opposed to what God is trying to tell you. It's opposed to that. You're not doing your children any favors by telling them that they're good people. You're just so good. (laughs) Junior, I love you so much. Look, you know what that, that little human did when he was two. They pulled poop from their diaper and threw it in your face. You gonna call that good? I'm just trying to be honest. Sin nature is innate. It is built in to these little humans. And when you say, you're so good, I love you, there's nothing wrong with encouraging your children to be the best version of what the Lord is going to do in their hearts. But lying to them, that ain't getting you nowhere. And lying to yourself isn't getting you anywhere. We are sinners. We must confront ourselves with this fact. And here's what Paul was trying to say. Paul was saying there's a reality of the Old Testament, and the reality of what that plays is showing all of us that we're all the children of Israel. 
we all will end up back in bondage. We all will end up complaining every time if we're left to ourselves. Thank the Lord it doesn't leave us there, though. And we venture into our text for today. The law reveals, watch this, what Jesus heals. The law reveals what Jesus heals. You're going to leave it there, pastor, that I'm not a good person? No, I'm not going to leave it there. I'm sorry I offended you. I'm really not sorry, but I'm going to say I'm sorry. Why? Because that has to be. You have to see that you are not a perfect person. And that is why Jesus came. The law reveals what Jesus heals. The transition from the Old Testament, stay with me, to the New Testament is the distance from the hand to the heart. You were measuring in the Old Testament and you're giving away in the New Testament. I have to measure my property and give to the temple, give to the priest a certain thing, but in the New Testament, you're like, Lord, take it all. One is calculated and the other gives it all away because you understand the purpose. Old Testament law Christianity is, well, it's not even Christianity, is way different than new covenant promise. Totally different. Here's the text, go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 18. You gotta see it with me. You gotta see it to believe it. You ready? I'm gonna start in verse number one. And this preaches itself. You ready? I'm not going to keep you long. This preaches itself. And, and if, let me say this. I'll just give you a little bit of prep here. If you're sitting here today in your sins, and you're like, I am a bad person. Dang it. Man. And you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, like Paul's about to say, do not leave today without giving your life to him. Do not leave today. The schoolmaster leads you to faith, leads you to trust in him, to do what you cannot do. So don't leave here today going, I'm just a horrible person. I'm, mm. No. Don't leave with that attitude. Leave with saying, thank you for making me a son and daughter. Thank you for saving a wretch like me. That, do you understand what I'm saying? Don't stay there. All right, let's read this text together. Verse number one, ready? Are we beginning, I, I love Paul, I think he's being sarcastic here, you make up your own mind. Look at verse number one in chapter three of, of 2 Corinthians. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? <laughs> or do we need like some letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves don't miss that. You yourselves are our letter written on our what? Hearts. Known and read by who? Everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the what? Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of what? Stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What is he doing? He's reckoning back to a time when one man went up into the mountain and received on tablets of stone a message from the Lord and that message could not be internalized. That message could not be displayed or put on display by the children of Israel. They failed over and over and over again because it was an outward message that never made its way inward, but Jesus 
But when our Savior rich in mercy came and he paid that sin debt, that thing, that block that wouldn't allow the Spirit of God to come on the inside and get an inside position when he did what he did, Oh my goodness gracious, now is it no longer written on a tablet, but it's written on your heart. We ain't done, we ain't done, ho, oh, verse number four. Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. Verse number five, I am about to do a Holy Ghost stomp, look at it. Verse number five, it is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves but our adequacy is from God. That is the opposite of trying to work your way to heaven by being a good person. Do you see it? Is it there? It's, it's present in the text. Our adequacy is not, thank the Lord in me, it is in him. Verse number six, he has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the what? Spirit. And every Karen was like, dang it. I just want it to be written down. I just want it to be like black and white. Did my mic die? We still there? Okay, good. I just want it to be written down. I'm sorry. This is something that is the spirit of the rule, not the letter of the law. It's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. But of the spirit. For the letter kills. This is the law. But the spirit gives what? Yes. Verse number seven. Now if the ministry, this is it. This is it. This brings the whole thing in perspective of the story of Moses on the mount. Now if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters on stone, came with glory. What is he talking about? When Moses met with God, what happened? His face shone. If the message that brought death to a people came with glory. Oh my goodness. So that the Israelites were not able to steadily gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? I underline this next verse. For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. Somebody say amen. amen. Verse 10. In fact, what had been glorious, the law, is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that what? Surpasses it. Verse 11, for if it was set aside, for if, it was, for if what was set aside was glorious, sorry, what endures will be even more glorious. Verse 12, since then we have such a hope. We act with great boldness. We are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory as it was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, and we still see it today go to Pikesville, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in the mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. This is the Lord who is the spirit. What is he saying? 
if Moses got a message of death and he had some brightness to him, how bright should we be? If the law brought death was still good, how much better is the message of hope in the gospel? But you see, we don't understand it. We haven't internalized the truth that everything we are not, he is. All of our failure, we're sitting here going, why can't I get victory over that sin? If you realize the goodness that he gave you, the victory that he gave you, you would never go back to that sin. You can't look at the perfect law of liberty and see the price and see the pain, the gospel. You maybe haven't spent enough time looking into the law to lead you to Jesus. You see, people who want a cheap salvation approach the cross, I accept everything that you're gonna give me, Jesus, without repenting of what he doesn't want you to bring. I must probably say that one again in another way. Many that come to the cross with your perspective and how you think it should play out don't get what he's trying to give you to receive. You have to be broken. You have to be repentant. You have to see what the law is telling you. And then when you see it, you go, I am unworthy of that, and he did all that for me. To not change is to be the spoiled, ungrateful brat that we all detest in our society. The spoiled, ungrateful brat that gets everything handed to him, that appreciates nothing, that goes and does what he wants. You understand? That's the hypocrite that says he's received salvation but runs back to his sin over and over and over again. Go ahead, abuse the grace that God gave you. You don't get it. If you got it, watch, the law has never produced righteousness. The law has never produced transformation. It's only produced guilt. And when you see the guilt and when you understand it, you go, oh my goodness, he's not coming down as a God that drops the hammer. He's coming down as a God that took the hammer. He took the weight of my sin. He took the pounding. He took my death. What my law, what my law revealed to me that I deserved, he took on himself. And Paul's like, you know it. Moses didn't see it. Moses didn't see what Jesus did for him. Moses lived in that other dispensation where he received what killed, and he still had glory on him. Moses still tried. What is our excuse? You've received, you've received, receiving. You've received the full gospel, the full weight of it. You got no excuse. To receive what this message is, is to be changed. You see, <laughs> the law, you look up your name in the law book and it shows everything that you've done wrong. But when you look into the perfect law of liberty and you by faith put your, put your faith and trust in Jesus, he gives you a new name. You see, if the, the title of this message is forward thinking. Many of you are praying for heaven to come. You're praying that you don't endure things on this earth. And Paul said that's a miss. 
I've given you everything you need to endure now and live for heaven already. You should in your spirit have received a new name. You should in your spirit. Now there is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. If you put your faith and your hope in what he did, he gives you a new name. Well, no, you don't understand, Pastor. My old name is this, and my old name struggles with that. Are you looking into the perfect law of liberty? Are you looking into the gospel and telling him that he hasn't given you enough power to conquer what he literally changed your name for? He didn't change your name to leave you where you're at. He changed your name to walk a new path, to go a different direction, and to shine while doing it. You're somewhere in between. You're somewhere in between. If you're not happy and shining, if you don't feel the presence of the Lord, then you are somewhere in between, and you need to move. You're either living under the condemnation of your past that everyone has been faced with, don't stay there. You have a new name. You're a son and daughter of the Most High King. He wants you to shine. That's forward thinking. He looked at these Jews in this congregation and he said, stop talking about how all these Gentiles need to live by the Mosaic law. That's dumb. All that law did was show them what they were not and introduce them to the Savior that they need. Just to make this practical, I want to take this whole thing and package it up. You ready? Number one, the law declared us guilty. How many see that? The law declared you guilty. Number two, the prophets of old were empowered by the law of the Lord. They were used in great ways to show us our need of the Messiah. That's in the past. Number three, the new covenant promise does not record or reveal the guilt. It gives us a new name to live with a new power in the spirit. That is present and future. Everything else is trash and it's garbage. I don't wanna hear it. If Christians could live in that present and in that future, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then what? On as it You mean I'm not there to whine and cry about the current state of affairs? No. It's already, but not yet. Say it with me. Already, but not yet. You know what that means? He's already won, but not yet. That's what produces glory. The Bible, the whole New Testament is, say it with me, already, but not yet. The whole New Testament is what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now give us this day. I want to live this life in my new name. I want to live this life in your glory. That way when sin comes, that way when death comes, we know where to put it. It's the old covenant. It's been done away. We don't live in it. We don't glorify it. We don't give it position. We don't give it place. We take our new name. We electric slide on over and we live for the kingdom today already but not yet. Look, the world doesn't know it's already, but not yet. And half of the Christians today aren't living already, but not yet. I hope he comes today. He's already come, but not yet. He has defeated. When he busted out of that grave, 
already, but not. He holds the keys already, but not yet. I just don't know if I can endure anymore. Those are statements coming from a place of law, of restriction. You understand what I'm saying? I hope I broadened your theological base today to understand law versus grace. Thanks for tuning in for this message on the Bethlehem Church Podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. If you want to know more about us, feel free to check out our website at bethlehemchurch.cc. And also in every message that we publish, you'll find our sermon notes in the description. And we hope that you'll study these topics further. We'll see you next time.